But today what I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you about something that we just saw in, in, in that clip. And that is the word desperation. Desperation. The word desperation means to be in a state of despair which usually results in rash or extreme behavior. And I ask you today, have you ever met somebody who was desperate? I mean desperate. Have you ever met anyone who was desperate? And if you've ever met anyone who was desperate, you can see from the outside looking in that their actions and behavior can almost seem irrational. Like their behavior is so rash that you're thinking, what are they doing? And to be honest, most people in this life never reach a state of desperation. Even though a lot of times you hear people say they are desperate. You know, I see, hear people a lot, and I've even used it myself, I'm like, I am desperate to use the bathroom. Like, desperate to use the bathroom, but really I'm not desperate, it's just I need the bathroom. But you kind of make it sound a little bit more desperation. Other people say, I am desperate for some food, because I've been eating for like three hours. Or, I'm desperate to drink something. And all this year, I think more than ever before, I saw Raven's fever more than ever before around here. And people were so desperate for the Ravens to win the Super Bowl. And this year, this summer, we're going to be desperate for the Orioles just to win a game, you know? Some of you, you may say, I'm desperate to meet that man or woman of my dreams. Some of us, we use that word desperate, but in reality... Many of us rarely get to the point where we are actually desperate. You know, it is Oscar Sunday, and two two years ago at the Oscars, there was a film that was nominated, uh, and it was a film called 127 Hours. And I never saw the movie, but I I, I really liked the story behind it. And I'd heard about the story, and basically, the story is about a hiker uh, called uh, Aaron uh, Ralston. And he went hiking out in Utah, and he went hiking in the mountains out there all by himself. And he found himself, he fell, and he got trapped. And this big rock and this big boulder fell on his arm. And the movie is basically all about him just uh, evaluating his life and processing his life up to that point. But in reality, the real story was the guy was there for days upon end, trapped, and he could not get out because his arm was stuck under this rock. And so without like repulsing you this morning, the guy got his knife, which was a blunt knife, and started hacking away at his arm in order to get free of that boulder. And basically, in the end, he got free from it. But the guy was desperate. I mean, could you just imagine being in a mountain and then a rock is just on your arm and you just can't get away? You would be desperate. I remember growing up and uh, seeing in the 80s, uh, just seeing on TV, a lot of the famine that was going on in Ethiopia at the time. And you would see these, uh, these pictures of the news reports. Uh, and, and you would see that these people, they were so starved for, for food, and they were so thirsty for, for clean water, that they would do anything just to get it. And I would hear stories of, of people who would walk 40, 50 miles one way each day just to get some food, and some clean water. Those people were desperate. If I asked you today, if you're like, wow, I really need a Dr. Pepper, because Dr. Pepper is awesome. And you're like, I really need Dr. Pepper. You would not walk 40 miles to get Dr. Pepper, right? Unless some of you have got some crazy addictions. Some of you might in the morning to get your coffee, I'm not sure. But 
We never experienced desperation like that. And most of us here in the, in the United States have never really experienced true desperation. And that is because most of the time we do not lack. We don't lack. However, when it comes to our relationship with God and our prayer life with God, many of us do lack. We do lack. And we don't realize that we're in a place that we are desperate for God. And we don't realize that we need to be crying out to God in desperation. Some of us, our prayer life is just muttering a few words of, God, help me not to, like, uh, uh, to curse the person next to me who's driving like, erratically. Or, uh, help me, Lord, uh, to uh, keep my mouth shut when my, my wife is like, uh, going on at me. Or, help me to keep my mouth shut when the guy, my husband just doesn't do his dishes. Or, the kids are uh, like, screaming in my, my, my ears. Or God help me because uh, I really want that sweater in the, in, the, in the store and I can't afford it at the moment, so give me the money. That's kind of our prayers. But that isn't a prayer life. That isn't a prayer life. And we talked about last week, we talked about some of us, we struggle in prayer because we really don't know who it is we are praying to. And so often, we really don't know who it is we're praying to. And because we don't know who it really is that we're praying to, we find it hard to keep that regular prayer life with God. However, when you do realize that desperation for God that's within your life, you start to search out God. And when you search out God, you find the hope and the joy and the love and the fulfillment that only God can bring. You know, there are many types of prayer in the Bible. And you read through the Bible and you see lots of different people praying in different types of ways. But I want us to look at a prayer today that's in the Bible. And this prayer is a prayer of desperation. Somebody was so desperate for God that they cried out this prayer to God. And I want us to take a look at this today. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to the first book of Samuel, chapter 1. The first book of Samuel, chapter 1. If you don't, it will be on the screen and you can read it along with me. But the very first verse of Samuel 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says this. It says, there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth, in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth of Ephraim. I'm like, why can't they just have easy names, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> I did have to practice that, by the way. <laughs> and then it says, it says, uh, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were two sons of Eli, Hopinai and Phineas. On the days um, uh, Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of his meat to Peniah and each of her children. So he would take his portions and he would give a portion to, El, um, to Peniah and then each of her children, he would give portions to them. Then it says, um, and though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion. So there you've got Elkanah and he's got two wives and that's his mistake right there, two wives. But he's got one and uh, Peniah, and he's given all this stuff to Peniah and her children. And then he looks over at Hannah, and even though he likes Hannah and he loves Hannah, and uh, he enjoys being with Hannah, he only gives her 
one little portion. So he was given one wife a whole lot more than his other wife. And then he says, he would only give her one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peniah would, ta- would uh, taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peniah would taunt Hannah and they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah, Elkanah? Um, would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why are you downhearted? Just because you have no children. You have me. Isn't that better than ten sons? I'm like the guy who really doesn't get it at all. But this woman, Hannah, she was in a dark place. And when I mean a dark place, I'm not she was just depressed for a few days. She lived a life in a dark place. The things that she had dreamed of as a girl had not been fulfilled as a woman. The dream of finding out that she was pregnant. The dream of watching her belly grow as she knew that life was growing on the inside of her. The the dream of choosing a a name for her baby. The dream of going into labor and then seeing the face of her newborn baby. The dream of looking into a child's eyes and seeing her own features. Or the dream of being able to love another person more than what she could ever imagine. The dream of watching that child grow. And turning out to being a fine young boy or girl. For Hannah, life was empty. And she knew it. And not only that, there was the shame of not having children. You know, in those days, they believed this kind of strange warped theology. They believed if a woman did not have children, then she was cursed of God. And if she was cursed of God, then she was cursed of God because she had done something wrong. And so they believed that Hannah was cursed of God and God was not blessing her because she had done things wrong. And this resulted in Hannah feeling empty. But it also caused others to look down on Hannah and even laugh at Hannah. And let me just say, just on the by side this day, you know, when God has blessed you with something, never look down on others who God has not blessed the same. You know why? Because blessings come And blessings go. We live in a life that is just temporal. And things come and things go. But the true treasures are the ones of uh, of the blessings of eternity. And only the true faithful ones who serve God will see the ultimate rewards in heaven. And they're the ones to be grasped hold of. And Peniah was laughing and looking down on Hannah. And you know, when times become desperate... And I mean by desperate, there is nothing you can do to change the situation. It causes one of two reactions. And the reactions are this. You can either isolate yourself or insulate yourself. Isolate yourself or insulate yourself. Isolate yourself by cutting yourself off from everybody else to stop the hurt, to stop the pain. Or you can insulate yourself so you can handle the hurt or handle the pain. And we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that Hannah started to insulate herself with prayer unto God. You see, Hannah had got to the end of her rope and her desperation led her to prayer. You know, she'd probably prayed many times before about this situation. 
I'm sure she had asked God many times before. But the prayer that we're going to see that Hannah starts to pray is very different from all other prayers. This is not just any prayer, for this prayer has now become the prayer of a desperate woman. And it made all the difference. So in Samuel 1, chapter 1, and then verse 9, it says this. Once after the sacrifice meal of, um, at Shiloh, uh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon me and my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign, he has been dedicated to the Lord and his hair will never be cut. She was praying to the Lord and and as she prayed to the Lord, Eli was watching her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no one uh, or no sound, he thought that she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. No, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I am very discouraged. I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And then it carries on. We see here that Hannah, out of her great anguish and sorrow, started to pray unto God. Let me ask you today, why did Hannah pray? I mean, she prayed many times before, I'm sure. So why was this different? Why did Hannah pray? I honestly believe that Hannah started to pray unto God because she got to the point where she realized that God was the only answer. There was no one else or nothing else in this world that could give her children. Only God was the answer. And when you realize who God really is and that He is the Almighty God, the one true God, then you start to realize there are situations in life where only God has the answer to your problems and the solutions to your circumstances. You know, we can look around and we can see lots of things that can help our problems. We can have counselors. We, we, we can have doctors. We can have nurses. We, we can have employees. We can have friends, different ones who can help our problems. But sometimes in life, situations get so bad that we realize that God is the only answer. And this is what happened to Hannah. So often we finally come to God and pray about something in a way that Hannah did. Why? Because we've tried all our other options and all that we have left is a desperate prayer. You know, growing up in my father's church, where we, there was like this, uh, uh, this banner on the way out as, as you went out um, uh, of the church doors. And on the banner, it said this, it says that prayer is not your last resort, but prayer is your first resort. It's not your last resort, but it's your first resource. And I remember going and seeing that constantly. And I remember every time I'd walk out of church, I'd realize that so often prayer in my own life had become a last resort. I had exhausted all other options, and then I came to God and prayed. But in reality, prayer is your first resource. Before 
anything else in this life, before you know, a doctor or a nurse can do anything, before a counselor can do anything, before a husband or a wife or a friend or a family member or a parent can do anything, prayer needs to be your first resource. And you know, history has shown us that when the church starts to become desperate for God, then God starts to move. You know, this is why the church thrives when the church is persecuted. You know, you go to China, and the church in China thrives so much more than the church in America. You know, when the Soviet Union collapsed, collapsed and they started to, to uh, the Westerners started going into to, to the old Soviet Union, they started realizing that the church there was so much stronger than anywhere else in Europe. You go to India and parts of Africa and the church is so strong. But yet they're suffering persecution. Why? Because they are desperate for God. They cry out to God in their desperations. You know, I I, I read a book recently and it was all about just uh, different revivals and awakenings that has happened through the history of the world and how God has moved across nations. And there is one thing that always happens before God moves across a nation. And then it's like nation turns away from God and there are a few people who start to cry out to God in desperation. This is why God often shows up in our worst circumstances. Because we become desperate for God. We start to realize that God is the only answer. And this morning, I want you to imagine, imagine if you started to come to God, not out of desperation, or before things got desperate, but came to God with that same intensity before things actually got desperate. This is only possible when you start to realize that God is the only solution. He is your first resource. He is the only solution. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, and I'll just read the, the first four verses here. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, to be tempted there by the devil. Devil, For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And then verse 4 says this, Jesus told the devil, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, in in Jesus' time, bread was such an important part of the diet. Bread wasn't like going to Outback and having a nice steak and then bringing all that real nice bread that fills you up beforehand. That wasn't the bread of the day. Bread of the day was like your entree. It was your main part of your diet. If you did not have bread, you would not be able to survive and live. And Jesus here was saying, That man does not live by bread alone. He does not live by just the main thing in their diet alone. The thing that keeps them alive. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus was saying that the word of God or God is the thing that sustains us. It is the thing that provides us. It is the thing that helps us in life over anything else this world may offer. And Hannah realized when she prayed that God was the only answer. And I ask you today, are you desperate enough to realize that? 
Are you desperate enough to realize that? Hannah was so desperate for God to answer her prayer that she started to bargain with God. And we realized that through the prayer of desperation that Hannah gave unto God, not only was God the only answer, but we also realized that out of a prayer of desperation, you start making sacrifices unto God. And Hannah started to bargain with God. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's wise to bargain with God. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? Lord, if you answer my prayer, I will go to Africa for you. You know, uh, Lord, if you answer this prayer, then I'll do this and I'll pray every day. Don't bargain with God, because when you bargain with God, you're going to break your promise. But this woman got so desperate that she didn't just bargain with God. She started to make a sacrifice onto God. This is what happened. Hannah got so desperate for a child that she said to God, God, if you give me a son then I'm going to give this son back to you. I'm going to sacrifice my time with this child. I'm going to sacrifice my dreams for this child. And I'm going to give this child back to you. You know, I believe that God loves the act of sacrifice. God Himself, God the Father, sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to this world to become a sacrifice for you and for me. And I believe just all throughout history, we've seen how God loves people who sacrifice unto Him. When you sacrifice unto God in a positive, authentic way, I believe that God hears and God answers. You know, the Bible tells us, He says that there's some situations in life where prayer isn't enough. The Bible says that you must pray and fast. And fasting is a form of, of sacrifice unto God. It's giving up of yourself to giving unto God. God loves people who sacrifice unto Him. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 even spoke about it. He said this in chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Then he says this. He says, Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. God desires you to give of your life in a sacrifice unto him. You know, I believe that the reason that God goes weak at the knees when you sacrifice to him is this. Because when you sacrifice, you open the door and you show selfishness the door. And you welcome selflessness in. And I honestly believe that God loves a selflessness person. When it's not about you and it's about God, God loves that. And for Hannah, Hannah got to a place where it stopped being about her and it became about God. The prayer of desperation is a sacrifice maker. And finally this morning, I believe the prayer of desperation is a pride destroyer. It's a pride destroyer. For Hannah, her prayer of desperation caused Eli the priest to start to question her. He thought she was drunk. Remember the beginning, we defined desperation as an act of despair that results in, in rash or irrational behavior. And this woman, Hannah, started to act irrationally. But desperation will make you do that. 
And when you pray to God out of desperation, you will get extreme. You may get a little irrational. But the reason for this is because desperation will cause you to act out of the norm because you put pride aside and you don't care what anybody else thinks. What anybody else thinks, all you care is what God thinks. And I believe that God loves it when you put pride aside and you cry out to Him. You know, there's a a story in the Bible of King David. And King David had been in lots of battles and uh, the nation of Israel had been in a battle with the Philistines. And the Philistines one day had captured the Ark of God. And the Ark of God basically represented the presence of God. And so these Philistines, they captured the Ark of God. And then David and his army went and fought the Philistines and and they were able to take the Ark of God back. Well, one day they were taking it um, along the road and it fell and one of the guys touched it. And when he touched it, the guy died. And so everybody got like scared. And so they said, okay, we're not moving. We're not touching the ark of God. So they left it where it was. And it went to a guy called Obed-Edom and it went into his house. And God started to bless this guy called Obed-Edom. And months later, everybody knew that God had blessed Obed-Edom because the ark of God was with Obed-Edom. And so David, the king, was like, okay, enough's enough. Obed-Edom's had his blessing. It's time for us. So David says, okay, I want you to go and get the ark from Obed-Edom. I want you to bring it back into Jerusalem where it belongs. And the Bible tells us that they went and got the ark of God and they brought it back into Jerusalem. And as they brought it back into Jerusalem, David followed the ark of God and he started to dance before God. And the Bible says that he, as he danced before God, basically he danced in a way that would not be acceptable in our society. He exposed himself to some young girls that, you know, his wife did not appreciate. And he just made a fool of himself because the ark of God had come to Jerusalem. He was so excited that the ark of God had come to Jerusalem. And basically his wife at the time, Michael, had said to him, she said, David, you're a shambles. He goes, you should be ashamed of yourself the way that you were dancing in the streets of Jerusalem. And David said this. He said to her, he says, woman, that's supposed to be how they talk to the ladies back then. But he said, woman, he said, I was not doing it for you. I was not doing it for the people of Jerusalem. I was dancing before the Lord. And he says, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, and I will do it even more undignified than the way I've done it to please my God. Now, let me just caution you this morning. There's like no dancing like that here. You know, if you do, I'm going to drop kick you outside or something like that. And, you know, don't expose yourself or anything. But David put his pride aside and he started to worship God. And when you get desperate enough for God, then pride will be pushed aside. And I believe pride is the biggest thing that restricts us from God. What others see as foolishness, God sees as passion and intimacy. And the prayer of desperation works because it pushes pride aside. What type of prayers have you prayed recently to God? Are they prayers of desperation? Are you desperate enough for God to pray in a way that you realize that God is the only answer? That you are willing to sacrifice some of your own pleasures for God? 
or you're able to put pride aside and don't care what others think, but just care what God thinks? Are you desperate enough to pray in such a way that will actually move heaven? Hannah was, and this is what happened. In 1 Samuel 1, verse 17, said, In that case, Eli said, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. Then verse 19, The entire family got up the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned to Ramah, when Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. The Lord remembered her prayer. And it says, And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. This prayer worked because she got so desperate that it actually moved heaven. And when the time came, God remembered her prayer and God answered her prayer. And I tell you today, don't wait like Hannah for for the situation to become so desperate before you pray the prayer of desperation. Realize that God is the only answer. Realize that God desires obedience and sacrifice. Push your pride aside and start to pray to God like your life depends on it for the things that concern you today. I ask you today, are you not seeing answers to prayer? Maybe it's because you're just not at that point where you're quite desperate enough. James chapter 5, verse 13. says, Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises to God. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. The Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then listen to this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. Or where the translation says, the fervent prayer. Or, in my version, says, the prayer of desperation of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The prayer of desperation. Are you desperate enough to see wonderful results come from your prayer life. Hannah was. Are you today? Let's pray.